Envision this. You're providing care to a 16-year-old boy with type 1 diabetes mellitus diagnosed at age 12. His mother brings him to the emergency department because he was exhibiting confusion. He was kind of groggy last evening, but I didn't make too much of it, his mother says. This morning, while he was eating his breakfast, I asked him if he had anything going on after school, and he just stared at me. I got the machine out to check his blood sugar, and his level wouldn't register. And he's breathing so fast. When you ask if the patient is good about checking his blood sugar and using his insulin, his mother says, not at all. I'm constantly reminding him because I know how important it is. You order blood tests, which show an elevated blood glucose and an elevated anion gap. How will you explain your patient's current status to him and his mother? Welcome to Audio Breaks. This is Ed Barnes breaking down metabolic acidosis in your ears. After completing this brick, you will be able to 1. Define metabolic acidosis and identify the pH and bicarbonate levels that indicate this disorder. 2. Describe how a patient with metabolic acidosis presents. 3. Describe the pathophysiology and common causes of metabolic acidosis and how to calculate the serum anion gap. 4. Explain how to diagnose metabolic acidosis. And 5. Outline the management of metabolic acidosis. Part 1. What is metabolic acidosis? The normal pH of the blood falls within a narrow range, 7.35 to 7.45. Values outside that range, whether high or low, can lead to serious problems and even death. These abnormal pH states, called acid-base disorders, are grouped into two big categories. Metabolic acid-base disorders, metabolic acidosis and metabolic alkalosis, are caused by abnormal amounts of non-volatile acid, i.e., an acid other than carbon dioxide, or base in the blood. Respiratory acid-based disorders, respiratory acidosis and respiratory alkalosis, are caused by abnormal amounts of carbon dioxide, a volatile acid, in the blood. Respiratory disorders and metabolic alkalosis are discussed in separate bricks. Here, we will focus on metabolic acidosis. Since normal serum pH is 7.35 to 7.45, we will define acidemia as a pH less than 7.35. Metabolic acidosis is one cause of acidemia, and it lowers the blood pH because of too much non-volatile metabolic acid or too little base. In metabolic acidosis, the pH is low, and the serum bicarbonate is low, and the arterial partial pressure of carbon dioxide is also low. There are many causes for metabolic acidosis, and it is a common complication in patients who are very sick or who have kidney disease. Let's dig deeper to explore the reasons for this. Part 2. How does a patient with metabolic acidosis present? Most patients with mild metabolic acidosis don't show any symptoms and are diagnosed by routine lab assessment in the clinic. A contrasting group of patients are those with serious illness. This group may develop acute metabolic acidosis in the hospital or due to acute ingestions or illnesses like sepsis and diabetic ketoacidosis. 
These patients often look very ill due to the underlying condition, with symptoms that depend on the underlying cause of the acidosis. In cases of severe acidemia, a sick patient may present with symptoms directly caused by the acidic serum. For example, there may be very deep breathing as the body tries to compensate for the metabolic derangement by rapidly excreting carbon dioxide, known as Kussmaul breathing in diabetic ketoacidosis. As the pH decreases below 7.10, patients often experience nausea, vomiting, and abdominal pain. Dysfunction of the central nervous system begins with lethargy and can progress to delirium and coma. The most life-threatening consequences of very severe acidemia are cardiovascular collapse from vasodilation, hypotension, and ventricular arrhythmias. Let's stop for a quiz. What finding on presentation is a compensatory effort for metabolic acidosis? Deep breathing is a compensatory effort for metabolic acidosis. Part 3. What is the pathophysiology of metabolic acidosis? Metabolic acidosis usually results from the body making excess non-volatile metabolic acids, like lactic acid or keto acids. Other mechanisms include ingesting substances that are converted to acids, like ethylene glycol or methanol, losing bicarbonate in the stool, like diarrhea, or when a diseased kidney is unable to excrete acid, like renal tubular acidosis. To differentiate these many causes, we first calculate the serum anion gap. How do we calculate the serum anion gap? The serum anion gap is the calculated difference between the serum concentrations of sodium, a cation, and the concentrations of chloride and bicarbonate, both are anions. The blood always has a neutral net charge because the total amount of anions must equal the total amount of cations. Measuring all of these cations is too time-consuming, so we approximate the anion-cation balance by calculating the anion gap using only sodium, chloride, and bicarbonate. You can calculate the anion gap by subtracting the sum of the serum chloride and bicarbonate from the serum sodium. The anion gap normally ranges between 4 and 12 milliequivalents per liter. This means that in a normal case, when we measure just the serum sodium, chloride, and bicarbonate, the difference between the measured cations and the anions is about 8 milliequivalents per liter, i.e. an anion gap of 8 milliequivalents per liter. An anion gap of 20 or more should always be investigated. Why does this anion gap exist? The unmeasured anions that we did not include in our equation make up this gap. These include anions like urate, phosphate, and sulfate, and cations like calcium and magnesium. It also includes negatively charged proteins like albumin as well as positively charged immunoglobulins. Taken together, they sum up to an anion concentration of approximately 8 milliequivalents per liter, which is the normal anion gap. When this gap increases, it is due to elevated levels of unmeasured anions such as ketoacid or lactic acid in the blood. Here's another quiz. A patient has the following serum concentrations in milliequivalents per liter. Sodium, 139. 
potassium 3.9, chloride 104, bicarbonate 25. What is the anion gap? To determine this patient's anion gap, subtract the anions from the sodium, thus 139 minus the sum of 104 and 25. This anion gap is 10 milligrams per liter, which is normal. Elevated anion gap metabolic acidosis is due to a gain of either ingested or body-produced non-volatile acids. While not exhaustive, the causes of high anion gap metabolic acidosis are best remembered by one of two mnemonics. Traditionalists like the time-honored mud piles version. M for methanol and metformin. U for uremia, as in acute or chronic renal failure. D for diabetic ketoacidosis, also known as DKA. P for propylene glycol. I for isoniazid or iron. L for lactic acidosis. E for ethylene glycol. And S for salicylates. Note that of these, the most common are DKA, alcoholic ketoacidosis, lactic acidosis, ingestions like ethylene glycol, methanol, and salicylates, and renal failure accounting for more than 95% of the cases. More recently, an updated version, gold mark, has been proposed. G for glycols like ethylene and propylene, O for oxyproline like 5-oxyproline, L, lactic acidosis, D for D-lactic acidosis, M for methanol and metformin, A for aspirin, R for renal failure, and K for ketoacidosis, as in diabetic and alcoholic ketoacidosis. While these are the causes, many of the items on the list are not acids. It can be helpful to understand the actual acid or the unmeasured ion and why the acidosis occurs or other clues associated with the diagnosis. For example, with isoniazid ingestion, the acid is L-lactic acid, and the associated diagnostic clues include liver toxicity and seizures. Or, ethylene glycol, where the actual acid is oxalic acid that was metabolized by alcohol dehydrogenase and associated with renal stones, uranoxalate crystals, and high serum osmolarity. Salicylates also have L-lactic acid as the actual acid due to an inhibition of the citric acid cycle and is associated with a concurrent respiratory alkalosis, tinnitus, and GI bleeding. It can also be useful to group these by their commonalities. For example, three drug toxicities cause lactic acidosis, isoniazid, metformin, and salicylates. Severe chronic kidney disease usually as the patient approaches dialysis or transplantation, causes reduced filtration of circulating acids and causes uremic acidosis. The ingestion of toxic alcohols, ethylene glycol, propylene glycol, and methanol also cause high serum osmolarity and will show an increased osmolar gap. The osmolar gap is defined as the measured serum osmolality minus the calculated osmolality based only on sodium, urea, and glucose. The calculation is based on the serum concentrations. Measured osmolality minus 2 times the sodium concentration plus blood urea nitrogen divided by 3 
plus glucose divided by 18. A gap of greater than 10 milliosms per kilogram is abnormal and suggests the presence in the serum of an abnormal or ingested osmol like ethanol or ethylene glycol. Now, let's discuss the normal anion gap metabolic acidosis. Normal anion gap metabolic acidosis is very different because there is no gain of either ingested or body-produced acids. Instead, the reduction of serum bicarbonate is due to one of the following causes. Loss of bicarbonate in the stool, like diarrhea. Loss of filtered bicarbonate in the urine, proximal renal tubular acidosis. Or the inability of the kidney to secrete metabolic acids, like chronic kidney disease or renal tubular acidosis. Let's look at these causes in more detail. First, diarrhea. This causes loss of both bicarbonate and potassium in the stool, and the patient develops metabolic acidosis with hypokalemia. This is the most common cause of normal anion gap metabolic acidosis. Next, chronic kidney disease. In many forms of chronic kidney disease, also known as CKD, impaired ammonia genesis leads to an inability to excrete the daily acid load. This is different from the anion gap metabolic acidosis associated with severe end-stage kidney disease. When reduced filtration of metabolic acids increases the anion gap and decreases serum bicarbonate. Finally, the different types of renal tubular acidosis. A dysfunction in acid handling by various segments of the nephron is known as renal tubular acidosis, also known as RTA. Recall that the kidneys are responsible for excreting excess metabolic acids and reabsorbing bicarbonate in order to buffer the serum pH. If the kidneys fail in either of these tasks due to disease, excretion of acid fails and or bicarbonate will be lost in the urine, resulting in a normal anion gap metabolic acidosis. There are three types of renal tubular acidosis, distal or type 1, proximal or type 2, hyperkalemic or type 4. Hyperkalemic RTA or type 4 is the most common RTA and is characterized by an increased serum potassium level, hence the name. The acidosis is caused by defective ammonia production in the proximal tubule, which leads to decreased secretion of ammonium, leading to decreased urine buffering and reduced acid excretion. Also recall that during ammonia genesis, a new bicarbonate is generated by the proximal tubule. That's why type 4 RTA, with limited ammonia genesis, the serum bicarbonate falls. Ammonia, its secretion is inhibited by hyperkalemia, the underlying cause of this RTA. Why would the patient be hyperkalemic? The most common cause of chronic hyperkalemia is low serum aldosterone, or blockade of aldosterone receptors. This can be due to adrenal dysfunction, inhibition of the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system by drugs like angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors or spironolactone. Low renin levels often seen in patients with diabetic kidney disease. The acidosis is usually mild, bicarbonate 18 to 20 milliequivalents per liter, because the distal nephron, with its proton secretion mechanism intact, 
the urine pH should be appropriately acidic, less than 5.3, in the presence of systemic acidosis. Proximal RTA, or type 2, is caused by defective proximal tubular reabsorption of bicarbonate. In normal physiology, the proximal tubule reabsorbs the largest amount of bicarbonate, facilitated by the enzyme carbonic anhydrase. When this fails due to disease in the proximal tubule or inhibition of carbonic anhydrase by medications, excess bicarbonate is excreted into the urine. Also, potassium is lost in the urine along with the bicarbonate, so patients are hypokalemic as well. Proximal RTA may be caused by the drug acetazolamide, which inhibits carbonic anhydrase, as well as by other drugs and toxins. It is also seen in some cases of multiple myeloma when excess filtered immunoglobulins are reabsorbed and damage the proximal tubule. The acidosis is mild with typical serum bicarbonate levels of 18 to 20 millicolons per liter because the distal nephron with its proton secretion is intact. The urine pH should be appropriately acidic, less than 5.3, in the presence of systemic acidosis. However, the urine may become alkaline after ingesting bicarbonate since some of additional filtered bicarbonate will escape proximal tubule reabsorption. In Fanconi syndrome, there is complete proximal tubule dysfunction, causing a proximal RTA, but also the appearance of glucose, phosphate, and amino acids in the urine due to poor reabsorption. It is caused by multiple myeloma, among other reasons. Distal RTA, or type 1, is caused by collecting duct type A intercalated cell dysfunction. The damaged intercalated cells do not adequately secrete hydrogen ions into the urine, so metabolic acidosis develops. There is usually hypokalemia as well, since these cells exchange potassium for hydrogen ions. Renal stones are sometimes seen, caused by high urine calcium and low citrate in the urine. Citrate normally inhibits stone formation. Distal RTA is caused by chronic interstitial kidney disease, but also by amphotericin B, lithium, lupus, Sjogren's syndrome, and amyloidosis. Unlike the other RTAs, the acidosis can be severe, with serum bicarbonate levels of 12 to 14 millicolons per liter. Also, unlike the other two types of RTA, the urine pH is usually greater than 5.3 because the urine is not adequately acidified by the damaged alpha-intercalated cells. To review, here are the findings associated with each type of RTA and some common etiologies. The type 1 RTA, also known as distal RTA, presents with hypokalemia, a very low serum bicarbonate around 10 to 14 milliequivalents per liter, and an elevated urinary pH greater than 5.3. The common etiologies include chronic tubulointerstitial nephritis, amphotericin B, lithium, lupus, Sjogren's syndrome, and amyloidosis. The type 2 RTA, also known as the proximal RTA, presents with hypokalemia, a modestly low serum bicarbonate around 18 to 20 milliequivalents per liter, and a low urinary pH less than 5.3. The common etiologies include acetazolamide, heavy metals, multiple myeloma, and Fanconi syndrome. 
The type 4 RTA, also known as the hyperkalemic RTA, presents with hyperkalemia, a modestly low serum bicarbonate around 18 to 20 milliequivalents per liter, and an elevated urinary pH greater than 5.3. The common etiologies include diabetic kidney disease, spironolactone, and hypoaldosteronism. We can summarize the physiologic effects of metabolic acidosis as follows. pH decreases. The partial pressure of carbon dioxide decreases. Bicarbonate decreases. In metabolic acidosis, the bicarbonate decreases, lowering the pH. But why does the serum partial pressure of carbon dioxide also drop? This is known as respiratory compensation. Here, the brain's respiratory center responds to low blood pH by increasing ventilation and increasing carbon dioxide excretion in the lungs. This helps correct the pH toward normal, but it never actually gets all the way back to normal. If you see low bicarbonate with an elevated partial pressure of carbon dioxide, this instead suggests a mixed acid-base disorder, where this normal respiratory compensation is overridden by hypoventilation caused by a concurrent respiratory acidosis. For example, opioid overdose. Let's pause for a quiz. What is the mechanism of RTA type 4? Low serum aldosterone effect causes hyperkalemia, which inhibits ammoniogenesis. Without ammonia, the kidney cannot excrete a sufficient amount of hydrogen ion. Part 4. How do we diagnose metabolic acidosis? There are a couple of things we can use to make a diagnosis once the history suggests a risk for metabolic acidosis. For example, a sick patient with a history of diabetes, kidney disease, or ingestions. A rapid or deep respiratory pattern is one of the best clues to acidosis. Also look out for other clinical signs suggestive of the underlying cause of the acidosis. For example, a patient in diabetic ketoacidosis might have a fruity breath. As for common lab findings, we diagnose metabolic acidosis using serum electrolytes, a chem panel, then a blood gas analysis. Depending on the results, additional testing may be needed to determine the specific cause. The general approach is first to determine that the patient has a low serum bicarbonate level on routine serum electrolytes. This would then prompt an arterial or venous blood gas analysis, which would show low pH and low bicarbonate as well as determine the anion gap from the electrolyte panel. If the anion gap is high, clinically evaluate for mud piles etiologies. Obtain serum lactate and ketone levels, as these are the two most common organic acids that cause metabolic acidosis. Serum salicylate levels are widely available and should be ordered if there is adequate clinical suspension. For example, concurrent respiratory alkalosis or a reported overdose attempt. Specific toxicology assays for the toxic alcohols are not widely available, but an elevated serum osmolal gap may provide an important clue that ingested methanol or ethylene or propylene glycol is the cause of the metabolic acidosis. If the anion gap is normal, clinically evaluate for diarrhea, CKD, and RTAs. 
Few labs are as helpful as a careful clinical history at identifying the etiology of the acidosis. However, you should always check the serum potassium. If potassium is low, the patient may have diarrhea or proximal or distal RTA. If potassium is high, the patient may have hyperkalemic or type 4 RTA. Here's another quiz. What is used to diagnose metabolic acidosis? Serum electrolytes and blood glass analysis are used to diagnose metabolic acidosis. Part 5. How do we manage metabolic acidosis? The treatment of high anion gap metabolic acidosis is mostly targeted at the cause. For toxic ingestions, for example, salicylates or metformin, give the patient saline to increase renal flow and excrete the toxins. However, if there is a concurrent renal failure and low urine output, patients may need dialysis. For methanol, ethylene glycol, and propylene glycol toxicity, the conversion of alcohols to toxic acids can be blocked by using fomepazole, an inhibitor of alcohol dehydrogenase. Less often, ethanol IV can also be used for the same purpose because it will compete for alcohol dehydrogenase and decrease the conversion of the other alcohols to toxic metabolites. For uremia, reversal of kidney failure will increase the glomerular filtration rate and increase hydrogen ion secretion. Dialysis may be needed if kidney failure is chronic. For diabetic ketoacidosis, Insulin and normal saline will stop ketone production. Giving pharmacologic sodium bicarbonate and high anion gap metabolic acidosis is reserved for specific patients where the pH is less than 7 or the bicarbonate is greater than 6 milliequivalents per liter. This is most often lactic acidosis. For normal anion gap metabolic acidosis, give bicarbonate. Large amounts may be needed in the proximal RTA to keep up with urine bicarbonate losses. Patients with hyperkalemic RTA or type 4 also need to have their serum potassium lowered with diuretics or dietary potassium restriction. Make sure they are not taking any other drugs that cause hyperkalemia such as ACE inhibitors or potassium supplements. Hyperkalemic RTA patients with low serum aldosterone may also need mineralocorticoid replacement with fludrocortisone. Let's stop for one last quiz. For diabetic ketoacidosis, what will reverse the acidemia? Insulin will stop ketone production and increase the pH in diabetic ketoacidosis. And that brings us to the end of our discussion on metabolic acidosis. Now, let's recap to see if we've completed our goals. First, can you describe what happens to serum pH and bicarbonate in metabolic acidosis? The serum pH declines as a result of a decline in the serum bicarbonate. Next, are you able to describe how a patient with metabolic acidosis presents? Most patients with mild metabolic acidosis don't show symptoms and are diagnosed by routine lab assessment in the clinic. 
In the most severe cases of metabolic acidosis, patients may experience rapid breathing, nausea, vomiting, and abdominal pain. Some may have lethargy and progress to delirium and coma. The most life-threatening consequences are cardiovascular collapse from vasodilation, hypotension, and ventricular arrhythmias. Next, can you describe how you would calculate the anion gap and describe your differential diagnosis? You can calculate the anion gap by subtracting the sum of the serum chloride and bicarbonate from the serum sodium. Remember, mud piles as your differential diagnosis. M for methanol or metformin. U for uremia. D for diabetic ketoacidosis. P for propylene glycol. I for isoniazid or iron. L for lactic acidosis. E for ethylene glycol. And S for salicylates. Next, can you name the three major causes of a normal anion gap metabolic acidosis? Diarrhea, chronic kidney disease, or one of the three types of RTAs. Finally, are you able to describe the best management for high anion gap metabolic acidosis? The treatment of high anion gap metabolic acidosis is mostly targeted at the cause. For example, for diabetic ketoacidosis, insulin and normal saline will stop ketone production. And that's it. Armed with your newfound knowledge on metabolic acidosis, let's get back to the patient from the beginning of the episode. You are providing care to a 16-year-old boy with type 1 diabetes mellitus with poorly controlled diabetes, grogginess, and is breathing rapidly. You order blood tests which show an elevated glucose and an elevated anion gap. How will you explain your patient's current status to him and his mother? You tell your patient and his mother that his blood sugar is at a level that has made him critically ill. His blood has become acidic, and he's breathing very quickly to try to blow out some of the acid that is accumulated in his body. You explain that your patient needs to be admitted to the hospital for further care. You tell his mother that she did the right thing by bringing him in, but he must take control of his diabetes when he gets home. You visit your patient the next day to help him understand how what happened to him is a warning sign that he needs to monitor his blood sugar and take his insulin as directed. You explain the serious repercussions if he doesn't. And that's it for our show. Make sure to like and subscribe if you like what you hear. And remember, your feedback helps us improve. You can enjoy the full Brick experience online at www.usmle-rx.com. Complete with illustrations, questions, flashcards, and active learning. So go check that out if you haven't already. Until next time.